0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Thriller Podcast. Today we are talking Bitcoin Core releasing its software upgrade for full SegWit support. That's awesome. We also have a shit ton of other news to go by. And then finally, in our main topic, we're going to be talking Bitcoin and its impact on the environment through a podcast starting now.
1: Welcome to Thriller with Carr Gonzalez, broadcasting from Austin, Texas
0: via SoundCloud and supported by listeners like you. It's time for the news. 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 Thriller with Car Gonzalez. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another exciting week of Thriller Podcasts. Uh, today... Let's just jump into the news we got a lot to cover. So Bitcoin Core releases its software upgrade with full segwit support. So yes, finally February 26, 2018, the Bitcoin Core development team has released a much anticipated software upgrade designed to help scale the cryptocurrency network. Version 0.16.0 of Bitcoin Core, the standard software client of Bitcoin network adds full support for segregated witness or Segwit, its release was presaged by a GitHub announcement earlier in February. Bitcoin Core 16 introduces full support for Segwit in the wallet and user interfaces. And the code is intended to solve Bitcoin scalability obstacles. And Bitcoin's main protocol has a maximum block size of one megabyte, which restricts the volume and speed of transactions. By separating, by separating the signature and transactional data, Segwit reduces the weight of transactions, which creates more room in any given block. This does not increase the network's block size limit, but it does increase the volume of possible transactions. The removal of the signature information also resolves the problem of transaction millability, which was previously a security vulnerability because transaction IDs could be altered. Likewise, this impeded the implementation of 2nd layer net protocols, such as the Lightning Network. So this is great news. Um, The fact that we are getting SegWit right now is awesome. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to... The uh, the low fees now. That's gonna be great. So let's get on to the next piece of news. So in celebration of Segwit Day, there has been a lightning payment, and that first lightning payment just made history. Again, so we all know that a long time ago there was this guy, and this is actually gonna be a make make a great main topic one day, but there's this guy, um, and he he basically bought a pizza at the time, two Papa John pizzas for $41, he traded 10,000 Bitcoins in 2010, uh, of May 22nd, and the transaction went viral and then it's legendary today because if he would have just saved those 10,000 Bitcoins instead of eating that pizza, he would have had a whopping $100 million, which is crazy. At the time, that's how many um, Bitcoins it cost to buy Papa John's. Uh, so anyway, so today he did the exact same thing. So. So today he basically bought p two pizzas again and he ordered them and he paid, you know, on the Lightning Network. And yeah, it's so so he's just basically doing the same thing. And it's pretty funny because he uh, he basically says a lot of the reasons why these that these altcoins got a big push this past year is that people have started seeing, you know, Bitcoin, it can't process every transaction in the world. We need something better. And all of these people came out of the woodwork promising something better. Um, and then he said that uh, things. He said all things that are supposed to be better. They they just kind of copy and paste for the most part. They're not solving the problem. And he says uh, this is a completely different thing, and I could stand behind it because you know I'm using it. I bought a pizza with it. So he's he basically blessed. He blessed everybody. And he blessed a Segwit network today, uh, or actually the Lightning network today. Um, so yeah, that was pretty cool. And then so it looks like Craig Wright. Craig Wright, we all know he's the one that famously said that he was Satoshi Nakamoto. Well, he is being sued for a whopping $10 billion. Uh, The lawsuit is being brought to him by Ira Kleinman on behalf of the estate of his brother Dave, who has been linked to the earliest days of Bitcoin. Kleinman, a forensic computer investigator and author, passed away in 2013 following a battle with MRSA. Kleiman's role in the development of Bitcoin came to light amid the controversy from late 2015 when Wright, an Australian businessman and academic, was identified by Gizmodo and wired as a possible identity behind Nakamoto, who departed the project in 2010. The Bitcoin community responded mostly with skepticism regarding the claims with some allegedly you know, because he had to provide proof, and I think we actually had an episode on this. I think it was last year. Check out the Satoshi Nakamoto episode. Uh, we cover this uh, actually, uh, but basically, he offered really no additional proof um, other than the alleged, you know, uh, blockchain first blockchain that that uh, he showed that he that he first mined the first Bitcoin. But that was something that everybody can have access to. So basically, he's basically getting sued for ten billion dollars. Um, uh, and it's because uh, uh, in district court, uh, Southern District of Florida, on February 14, is an alleged hoard of more than 1.1 million bitcoins, which Ira Kleiman's lawyers say is worth an access of 10 billion. And um, he is saying that he basically um, scammed it from him. So the plaintiff demands judgment against defendant for the value of the wrongfully retained bitcoin and IP together with court costs interest and any other relief this court deems just and proper the complaint states and so Craig Wright he also um, tweeted about this and he basically just says what's this lawsuit lawsuit all about and then he responded with greed so notably the complaint doesn't seek to assert whether Wright is a person behind nakamoto's identity stating that it is unclear whether Craig Dave or both created like bitcoin Though at least one observer says that the issue could ultimately come before the court if the suit progresses, for reasons not yet completely clear, they chose to keep their involvement in Bitcoin hidden from most of their family and friends. It is undeniable, however, that Craig and Dave were involved in Bitcoin from its inception, and that they both accumulated a vast wealth of Bitcoins from 2009 through 2013. It goes on to say, so it's it's kind of it's kind of funny because this is going to get you know brought to court, and it's going to be interesting to see. Whether he has to go on the stand and prove that he's not Satoshi. Um, I don't think that's gonna be hard to prove, but um, it would be interesting to see if he does prove that he is Satoshi, then he is kind of guilty because apparently he stole this person's Bitcoin. But we have a long way to go before any of this happens. And I don't think, I don't think, I think it's probably just gonna get dismissed. Um, Yeah, we'll see. We'll watch it. It's it's a pretty interesting story, you know, to say the least. So also, we got Goldman Sachs. So Goldman Sachs latest uh, to label crypto a business risk. So investment banking giant Goldman Sachs has cited its connection to cryptocurrencies and blockchain as a potential business risk. Uh, public records show. That the company said we may be or may become exposed to risk related to distributed ledger technology through our facilitation of client activities involving financial products linked to distributed ledger technology such as blockchain or cryptocurrencies. Our investments in companies that seek to develop platforms based on distributed ledger technology and the use of distributed ledger technology by third party vendors. Clients, counterparties, clearinghouses, and other financial intermediaries. While no obvious connection was drawn, the risk highlighted particularly on the cryptocurrency front may form part of the reason why Goldman has thus far eschewed any closer involvement in the market. Um, It was just today that they actually... Um, they actually acquired. Well, they have an, a payments app called Circle, and that payments app acquired a crypto exchange called Polynex for 400 million. It just so happens Circle is funded, of course, by Goldman Sachs, so it's kind of shooting your own foot. So apparently, the Polynex exchange offers trades in 68 different coins and is currently the 14th largest crypto exchange by 24-hour volume. Um, and they to- they trade a total of 150 140 million dollars per day. So in an announcement today, the Circle blog, the co-founders, Sean Neville and Jeremy Allar, wrote, We also look forward to scaling Polynex up and out throughout market expansion and localization, increasing token listings where possible and appropriate, and exploring the Fiat, USD, Euro, GBP. Connecting that Circle already brings its compliant pay trade and investment products. So, Polynex they released a statement as well, saying to bring to bringing Circle's experience to increase the scalability and reliability of our platform and ex- operations. User experience is paramount. If we aspire to build a token marketplace that will change the fundamentals of global value exchange, we cannot settle for anything less than ex- excellence in our product. So this basically makes them you know second to Coinbase at this point, and then you have Robinhood rounding third, and then you have you know Bitfinex, Bitrex. It, you know, all the other places hit BTC, um, all of them. So if this turns out to be, you know, you know, a good this turns out to be a good thing overall. Um, it is kind of funny how Goldman Sachs is getting into the crypto game, you know, you know, diagonally, of course. But yeah, so that's interesting news. So, as well. And then we also have 50 Cent. So 50 Cent is back in the news and now he's saying he never owned Bitcoin. So if you guys remember maybe a couple of weeks back we had a, a news where rapper 50 Cent is now a Bitcoin millionaire where he basically said that he accepted Bitcoin for his 2014 album Animal Ambition. Well, now he's declining that he never he never said that. So now he said I made a social media post stating that I forgot I did that because I hadn't forgot I had, in fact, forgotten. I was one of the first recording artists to accept Bitcoin for online transactions. He also says, as a general matter, so long as a press story is not irreparably damaging to my image or brand, I usually do not feel the need to publicly deny the reporting. This is particularly true when I feel the press report is in question, is favorable to my image or brand. And so basically he's saying it looked cool because I own—I look like a Bitcoin millionaire when in fact I really am not. But he did say on Instagram that not bad for a kid from Southside. I'm so proud of me. So it's kind of one of those things where, who do you believe? But I think it has to do with his whole, you know, bankruptcy court filing. And it was submitted on the 23rd. So if he he says that he owns some of this stuff, then they could potentially take it away from him, which kind of sucks. So let's hope he's has that in code storage. <laughs> so we also have Coinbase. So Coinbase over the weekend released some interesting information. They basically emailed 13,000 of their users. Uh, Sending, saying that they're going to be sending their data to the IRS. So, this happened to be planned over the course of February 23rd, over this past weekend. Um, They said that they were going to be sending over, you know, they're going to be sending emails to all its Coinbase users. Um, But this was only going to be from the time of 2013 to 2015. And that was only going to be a trading volume of 13,000 to uh, Twenty thousand dollars if you bought that much through Coinbase. So um, it's just one of those things where it kind of sucks because honestly, crypto really didn't become a taxable event till last year, I want to say. So it's kind of dumb for the for them to be taking taxes from such an early time period. I just don't agree with it, you know, personally. Especially if you're mining your own Bitcoin. Or if you're trading it for something else, you know, I, I, you put in so much work for for to make these trades. I just don't understand why they have to take away from that. But I guess it's one of those things where they see the potential of Bitcoin actually becoming a big thing. So they they want to tax that as well. But uh, I guess, like they say, death and taxes. Those are the two things you have to everybody will eventually do. Um, so yeah, so that's going on right now with Coinbase So if you didn't get an email, you're one of the lucky ones But they only did it from 2013 to 2015 That's not to say they're not going to do another one from 2016 to now Which kind of sucks I feel like that's going to happen next year That's why I don't use Coinbase anymore um, And finally, I do want to share this one piece of information um, And I think it's going to benefit this person especially So this story is from Reddit. Um, This guy, he labels this post as, if you receive 26,707 EOS coins from the sky, that was me and you can do the right thing. So apparently um, he joined the EOS crowd sale and he bought 248 ethers. Um, He received 26,707 EOS tokens from the crowd sale. During the crowd sale, he says that he inspected the accounts and sent ether to the eos contract copying and pasting inside of etherscan and once he decided to send eos to his exchange address he wrongly sent it to another address which he had copied he basically said that he should have been more careful but it was early morning which he just woke up and he didn't realize that he's he sent two hundred thousand dollars worth of eos tokens you know to somewhere else so now he's asking the reddit community to do the right thing so he's also contacted three exchanges, Binance, Bittrex, and Bitfinex, um, and they can't find out where those EOS tokens went. Um, he's also hoping that they will send back you know, his those tokens back to his address, and he has it inside the Reddit page. So everybody feels sorry for him. This is a big story here on the EOS Reddit page. So if there's anybody out there listening to Thriller Podcasts, and you happen to receive these twenty six thousand EOS tokens worth about two hundred thousand right now. Um, do the right thing um, and send it back to him. You know uh, he even goes on to state that he would be willing to you know give once he receives all twenty six thousand he'd be willing to give the the person that he sent it to some EOS tokens. So, you know, don't look at it like an incentive. Just do the right thing. You know, that's not your EOS token. So just send it back to them. I'll put the I'll put the address inside of the um, show notes. So please go check out that. Please check your EOS token wallet. If you guys received anything like that, just make sure to do the right thing and send it back to them. I mean, you, just imagine yourself in that situation. If you sent, you know, all of your crypto to the wrong address, you know, especially it was one that you're holding a shit ton of, like, how awful would you feel, you know, for doing that? So do the right thing and, and send them all back to him, please. That's through car, please, telling you to do the right thing. Because at the end of the day, guys, it's just money. I mean, it really is. I mean, I know $200,000 could probably help somebody, but it's not, It's not. not the, the. it's not worth it if you're going to put somebody else, you know, in jeopardy. I'm sure that's money that he probably you know, needs back. So yeah, look at the show notes, do the right thing and send him back his money if you're listening. All right. And with that, let's get into our interesting video of the day.
2: Cars, Uh, interesting video of the day.
0: So today's interesting video of the day comes from Ivan on tech. Um, he does pretty really good uh, interview series with a lot of cryptocurrency um, people uh, involved in blockchain technology. He just recently had Dan Larimore on there. And Dan was trying to explain how, well actually Ivan was asking him how the ERC20 tokens um, were going to get converted over to the new EOS token You know when it happens in June. Um, like I said when we did the EOS podcast I mean, it's ba- it's basically a matter of if they create the blockchain, it'll be there. If a blockchain is not created, then it won't. And <laughs> it was funny because I was looking for this answer when we did the podcast for it. But it was great because Dan Lo and Larimore just basically told everybody how it really is. So check this out.
1: So EOS Mainnet will launch in, uh, in June during the... Uh, I, can't, I don't know when the and- network, network will launch. I can tell you that EOS
3: IO software will be available in June.
1: All right, and the, the reason why you can tell is because it is up to the community to launch? Yes. Or what yes. is the, the reason? the community
3: is the one that's going to launch and operate the software. Uh, we just produce open-source software.
1: All right, and so currently there are ERC-20 tokens on Ethereum, which are EOS tokens. And uh, this is how you fund the entire project? Uh, up Actually, so no, now. it's not how we so fund maybe, the project you, up to now. We have our own
3: funding okay. independent of the money that we're generating uh, we created the ERC-20 token distribution as a means of, of generating the initial uh, a potential snapshot that people can, can use to initialize the Genesis block um, based upon a, f- a simulated mining uh, to make sure that it's far and wide distributed. Because every blockchain has a problem, well, how should we distribute it? Uh, and so the ERC-20 token represents a community effort to create a distribution that uh, is fair, the, the proceeds of it, are not uh, used for the development.
1: All right. So it's a way of fairly distributing tokens. That is also why you have such a long ICO with different periods so that everyone has time and not some and someone just doesn't buy all the tokens on day one, very in a very future. Forces time. everyone to dollar cost average in. Yes. Alright. And so some people are wondering what so how exactly do you turn ERC20 tokens to uh, EOS tokens? and what will happen to the tokens that are located on exchanges. For example, if you go to an exchange, you buy EOS token, and of course, you have no, 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 you don't have the control over the private key. So how should people be reasoning about this issue of converting ERC20 to EOS tokens? And also when you say that you will not launch the, the network, uh, will you have any role in this exchange of ERC20 to EOS? Don't I don't have any
3: role in it. There could be multiple blockchains that launch and it's up to the people who launch the chains to figure out how to import the genesis that they want and distribute the tokens how they like
1: all right and so will it be fair to say then that uh, people should uh, or it's a good idea to take the tokens out from exchanges because uh, you want to control the private key and uh with If you have it on exchanges, maybe they will p- pick the bad EOS blockchain, or uh, how would you reason about it if you had EOS 20 tokens on an exchange? I, I
3: would view it the same way I would if you have Bitcoin to- uh, Bitcoins on an exchange and Bitcoins forking into gold and cash and a bunch of other things. If the exchange doesn't want to support that fork, then you don't get it, even though technically you probably should. Um, so uh, but <clears throat> the only way that you have any... Proof to the world in a decentralized way is if you control the private key. Otherwise, you're trusting the third party uh, to to hold that for you. Um,
0: I don't know. I feel like Ivan let him off the hook too easy right there. There's that's This is the main reason that I griped about EOS when we did that episode, and a lot of people didn't like it, but it's true. He said the exact same thing we said on the podcast. That's why I can't back EOS. I can't. Now, I did say on the podcast when we did the episode for EOS that it's a great coin to hold till June, as long as you sell it right before, right before it it it, it actually completes he completes his token sale, quote unquote, um, then you should be fine. But make sure you sell before that. Now you do take a risk by holding on to EOS. Right. So you take the risk because you want to grab those other, you know, you want to grab those other ERC or not ERC. You want to grab the real EOS coin at that time. But honestly, guys, whenever something like that happens, it's all it. what usually happens. It'll spike. And as soon as they get as soon as they get a hold, as soon as people get a hold of the real EOS token or the real EOS coin at that point, what's going to happen is they're going to sell right after that and they're going to cash out. So even if you do plan to hold EOS all the way through its token sale and then plan to grab all these other EOS, you know, coins that are being made, chances are those are gonna be sold within, you know, twenty four to forty eight hours, seventy two hours. We'll see how it's all played out, but is you heard him just say now? He honestly doesn't give a fuck either way. <laughs> like all he cares about is building out this this blockchain called EOS. He doesn't give a shit about anything else. He's even it's it he doesn't it sounds exactly what I'm saying right now because if you heard, go back and listen to it again. But you hear him and his the way he talks about things. He doesn't give a shit what happens to the software. He has obligation to fulfill by creating this blockchain. Everything else. He doesn't care. He decided to do it the token way. I'm sure i like to believe that he didn't take some of those tokens, those ERC-20 tokens for himself so he could cash out later. I'm sure he didn't do that. But we don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? We don't know if that's the only reason he did it. A lot of people call this EOS Token vaporware. I don't believe it is. I really don't. I really think that they are building this stuff out. They even have a a test net. Go back and listen to that episode, the EOS episode that we did earlier this year. Um, it explains a lot. But uh, I just wanted to share that because I know there's a lot of people out there still bullish on EOS, and I do want you guys to be bullish on it because I think it's a great, going to be a great blockchain. I just think holding it past June or past the ICO date is just not smart investing. But that's my opinion, and that's why you have your own opinion, so make it. But I did want to provide this interview for people that are on the fence. I think if you hold it till June and get rid of it before the ISO ICO gets finished, I think you'll be fine. Uh, I plan on buying some EOS here pretty soon because it's really low right now uh, when I checked earlier today. And I want to I flip it here in June because I think it could probably be worth $30, $40 by end of June or by, by the end of the ICO. Because I, I just don't plan on holding that, you know, long, long term. You know, I'll, I'll don't get me wrong. Once they get everything fleshed out and there's a new EOS coin that everybody agrees on is, is the main one, then I'll probably jump back in to own it myself. But in the meantime, I'm just not going to play this ICO game. It's just too much risk. And there's easier ways, easier ways to make money in crypto. And EOS, I feel like, is one that you have to do a balancing act. But with that, let's get into coin talk it is time everything you- All oh, right, right. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get excited. It's coin talk. So a couple things I need to say are that uh, coin market cap, I predicted a high this past weekend. We did not get that. <laughs> we did not get that at all. And this is the first weekend, I want to say, in a very long time, a very long time where the market was just not up like it usually is. Because between all those ebb dips that we had in February... There has a very there has been a very you know um, occurring thing reoccurring thing. It's always that it shoots back up on the weekend, no matter how low the dip is during the week. And today was the opposite. Friday through Sunday was just down. Everything was down. It wasn't looking good. I was expecting highs. They weren't. Today we roll into Monday morning and everything's up. So that's great news. This is great news. I did some research this um this morning before work and um. So I looked at last year's coin market cap and I compared it to this year's. Um, February has been right on with last year, so there was a total of three dips here in February, like really red days. In March of last year, there's there's a total of four major red days, and um, so I'm predicting if if it stays the same, there should be a total of you know two to four major red days here in March. The good news that comes out of this, though. Is as soon as April and May come around, everything spikes up and doesn't stop. So we're gonna see a couple more chances here to purchase some coins on these red days here in March. After that, we're not gonna see any, we're not gonna see very much time to purchase these, these coins that are really half off right now, because after once May rolls around, everything just spikes up. If you go take a look at yourself, go look at the coin market cap from last year, you'll see everything spikes up at around May, April. Um, Everything does spike up here in the middle of uh, March, like around the 14th, 15th. 16th of march everything will spike up and then everything crashes back down so if you take a look at last year's you can kind of see a lot of correlation from the data from this year and last year it's pretty right on for the most part so um that's always one good good way to predict the future is look at the past and um yeah so potentially there could be another two to four red days here in march if so those are the days you want to purchase crypto so if we get pretty high this week, I think what I'm going to do. Well, you know what? Let's just, just go ahead and jump into our disclaimer. Remember, Thriller Podcast does not
4: give financial advice. He cannot tell the future, even if he thinks he
2: can. He is just some dude trying to save the world one Satoshi at a time.
0: So let's go ahead and jump into it. So it looks like we got Bitcoin at ten thousand three hundred and ninety nine dollars. Let's go ahead and call it ten four. <laughs> so that is awesome. It's up one percent today. Uh, we got Ethereum at eight hundred and seventy four dollars, up 027 uh, percent. We got Ripple at ninety five cents. So it looks like it shot up from over the weekend at a low of eighty nine cents. We got Bitcoin Cash making some moves at $1262. We got Litecoin at $222. So it was pretty funny over the weekend Charlie Lee had, he had tweeted out that the flappening was going to happen. <laughs> he predicted Litecoin was going to surpass BCH, but um I, honestly like I, I've been saying for the longest time, you know, Bitcoin Cash is really the truest threat um is to Litecoin. I've been saying that, you know, you know, since the beginning of the year. It's true, you know. So yeah, I, I could totally see Litecoin spiking up to a thousand dollars for sure by the end of the year. That's a no-brainer. Um, that's where we had it pegged at last year. So we got Neo at one hundred thirty-five bucks. Neo has been on a tear recently, doing good. We got uh, Cardano at thirty-three cents. So Neo finally took over Cardano's spot at sixth place. Uh, We got Stellar at $0.36, Holding Steady at number eight. Um, We got EOS at $8.15, so that has went up. It actually was at around um, $7 yesterday, so that would have been a good time to buy EOS. Uh, We got IOTA at Uh, $1.87. They just recently said that they got a regional manager from Microsoft on their team now, so... Way to go, Iota. Uh, we got Dash at 624 bucks. We got Monero at $293. So Monero is still as is at a very low price right now. That's a good buy right there, if I must say so myself. We got NEM, XEM. Really hasn't done much of anything since the hack. Um, it's still at $0.40. Cents. This is the lowest I've probably seen it in a really long time. Um, kind of a bummer. But uh, we'll see if that can get back up. We got Ethereum Classic at $35. So that is pretty steady where it usually hangs at, around $32 to $42, as high as that. Um, We got Tron at $0.04. So it's funny, Justin Sun's tweeting out like he usually does. He says that he works 24 hours a day. Him and his team at Tron work 24 hours a day in San Francisco. So he also had some news too, and he said that... um, They are going to be releasing some interesting details this week. So the release date of Tron Mainnet has been advanced. We will have detail about this later. So, man, he is he is sending out some fire this week. So right now it's at four cents. Look to Tron to spike up on the news here pretty soon. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm all for it, man. I know this guy. (laughs) I know this guy, Justin Sun. He can he can will that shit to fucking 40 cents. I'm telling you, this, this guy understands the marketing on a different level, especially with cryptocurrency. Um, check out our episode that we did on Tron uh, a while back. It was good. But yeah, like I said, Tron is 50-50. I mean, I really believe, you know, I really it's one of those coins where I want to believe it could be great, but at the same time, it's like they haven't shown me anything yet. So you gotta show me some stuff, you know, you gotta you gotta show me you know because he could he could be a really good salesman and i know he is but let's see if he has any substance to it so we'll see this week what he provides and we'll cover it here on Thriller podcast we got vchain at $5.55 we got lisk at $20 we got bitcoin gold at 119 so bitcoin gold has kind of slowed down a little bit that's good we got nano at $13.98 nano continues to go up. We got OMG at $18. We got Icon. So Icon is at a low. It was at a super low this weekend, at around 350, 375 around there. Now it's back at four. But man, I really wanna give me some icon and some OEOS. Seriously, we got some. Uh, bin- or we got. i sorry, we got some Zcash at four hundred four dollars. We got Verge at six cents. So Verge is another one that's on a rise, back going back up, hopefully to eight cents. We got uh, Steam at three dollars and fifty three cents. We got Stratus at seven dollars and fifty six cents. We got Dogecoin at six tenths of a cent. We got Chain at two dollars. We got Seacoin at two cents. We got Waves at six dollars and seventy four cents. Uh, we got Walton Chain. Man, Walton Chain is just killing it at 21 bucks. We got Augur at $46. We have Electronium at $0.08. Cents. Electronium seems to be staying steady at $0.08. That um, usually, I've noticed, that's usually where it usually stays at $0.08. Cents. We got Komodo at $4. We have Arc at $3.76. We got BAT at $0.36. Cents. So BAT is up a couple cents right there. We got Digibyte at $0.03. Cents. We got Dragon Chain at $1.42. We have Dent at $0.02. We have Golem at $0.36. We got PIVX at $5.40. We got Ion at $3.07. We got uh, Redcoin back down to 9 tenths of a cent. So it's down 4%. We got Ethos at $3.51. We got um, Salt at $4.17. So we have Power Ledger at $0.61. It's up 1%. We got Syndicator back down to thirteen cents. We have Kincoin at two tenths of a cent. Oh my God, We got oh so Singularity Net is at thirty-eight cents. That is awesome. We got uh, Made Safe Coin at thirty-five cents. That's a new one here on the top one hundred. We got Ignis at the number one hundred spot at twenty cents. And let's take a look here. Got Game Credits down at two dollars and twenty-one cents got economy at $1.47. We got BlockNet at $27. Got got DigitalNode at one penny again. We got Storage at 93 cents. We got Substratum at 54 cents. That's another one that's pretty interesting here. We got Decentraland back at 11 cents. We got ETHLand at 10 cents. Wow. So ETHLand's up 1%. We got Paccoin at 4 tenths. Well, I'm sorry, 4 one thousandths of a cent. We got Aragon at $3.97. 97 cents. And we got Telcoin at three one hundredths of a cent. And we have, I think that's, I think that's it. Uh, That's all we have. Crypto 20 at $2.12. All the other ones look to be dropping. But yeah, um, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, we're starting to cover the top 150 now because it's just, there's these coins or the ones that we're following seem to go up and down between 150 and 100. So we're just going to start covering that. A lot of new coins like, um, you know, like, Syndicator have taken some of those spots. Oh, Funfair at $0.05. Cents. That's good to see Funfair back up. And Factum at $33. Interesting. Factum has it made its way back up to 45 bucks. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the dips here in March. Um, I want to re-up on my crypto, especially if we're going to be really high here in May. Um, yeah, it's really exciting to think that... We're only a you know a couple months away from hitting all time highs. Uh, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. It's kind of like Christmas. Um, so we'll see. We'll see on that. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our main topic today. We are discussing Bitcoin. Um, this this topic comes from Cameron here on our Telegram. He is also a thriller producer. He wanted us to do a to, to do a main topic on Bitcoin and its impact on the environment. Um, I I, I kind of was hesitant to do this just because. I'm not really a you know person that's really into science and I've taken a couple of science classes here in college you know especially with like geology and stuff like that but to understand you know the entire the entire environment and its ecosystem it's just really hard so I'm gonna do my very best to cover this I think it's one of those that it just definitely needs to be brought up you know it to be aware of what bitcoin's doing to the environment um, just realize I will probably be biased. Um, just because I can't help it, I love Bitcoin. <laughs> so but I'll do my very best not to be, uh, but just just realize that I'm probably gonna side more with Bitcoin just because I, I love Bitcoin. Not saying I don't love the world either, but I, I don't yeah, we'll we'll go we'll, we'll get into it.'ll we'll, Let's go ahead and get into our main topic, Bitcoin and its impact on the environment. Starting now. main topic on thriller with car gonzalez only on anchor.fm all right so let's jump into this so if we really look at the cost um for the energy consumption of bitcoin you know if you go around estimates will vary and a true figure you know could be close but um Just because due to the, you know, decentralized nature of Bitcoin use, it'll be really hard to kind of gauge that. So there's a website called Digiconomist and there's a guy named Alex DeViers and he's actually looked into this. So if Bitcoin miners are using the most efficient machines possible, the lowest amount of electricity they could possibly be using is 13 terawatts hours. DeVere said in an interview, that's about as much as the entire country of Slovenia. DeVere also said that uh, conservative estimates make it entirely possible that Bitcoin is using as much energy as Ireland, which consumes about twice as much as Slovenia um, and about 0.7 percent of the U.S. total. And he does go on to say that, you know, the problem is getting worse. And um, just by the increased amount of miners that there are, you know, you know, trying to get these block rewards so um, if we keep looking here further, um, it takes approximately 29 terahast- or terawatt hours equal to 1 million megawatt hours annually to operate the energy-hungry computers and networks that power Bitcoin transactions. That's about 0.13% of total global electricity consumption. And DeVires of Digiconomist.com says that's an insane amount of energy, both on its own and relative to older payment systems such as credit cards and others think the situation is now so dire. Um, and, and you know what? When you when you look at it that way, you know, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I actually went on his website and did some more reading, and uh, he goes on to say that renewable energy will not save Bitcoin. Uh, He says, over the past few weeks, Bitcoin's insane energy consumption took center stage in the media coverage regarding the popular cryptocurrency. This led to a lively debate with some frequently returning claims being made. Let's examine some of the most common ones. So he basically says that the numbers are wrong. He says, um, it's important to realize that there is no way to verify the actual energy consumption of Bitcoin. Like I said, because of the decentralized internet or decentralized currency that it is, Um, Bitcoin's energy consumption is simply taking the total network computational power and dividing this number by the computational power of most efficient Bitcoin mining machines. We know how much electricity these machines consume under ideal circumstances. And then he goes on to says that he also says the comparison is flawed. Um, rather than arguing against the numbers, some will simply say that it's unfair to compare Bitcoin to Visa and vice versa, uh, just because the whole current financial system is, is you know, is kind of regulated. And um, there are, you know, machines and, of course, banks and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's kind of the does Bitcoin use more energy than it's actually being used for the whole financial system? Eh, it's kind of one of those things that there's just not enough data right now. Um, He also says Bitcoin doesn't use that much energy in total. You know, that's another thing that people say. um, And he says that's wrong. He said, being responsible for only 0.23% of electricity consumption of the planet, that's just not untrue. It is well within the margin of error for electricity consumption estimate for the rest of the world. The obviously flaw in the narrative is that it lacks a proper justification for Bitcoin's extreme energy inefficiency and ignores that Bitcoin is rapidly growing system. He goes on to say that Bitcoin will consume as much energy as the whole world by 2020. um, And he really believes that. Um, He goes on to give different topics, you know, related to this. He, he has a whole website called DigiConomist. I'll put a link in the show notes, digiConomist.net. It's pretty interesting. Some of it seems a little bit far-fetched, but you know, like I said, I'm very biased when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, so another thing I did want to mention is, let me get you into somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. So this video is from a guy who actually did the numbers. So check this out.
2: So to start with, we'll talk about why computation inherently requires some energy. So there's a principle developed by uh, Rolf Landauer in the 1960s that any non-reversible computation must use a, a minimum amount of energy. So this is derived from uh, basic physics. And we're not going to go through the derivation here, except to say that every time you flip one bit in a non-reversible computation, there's a minimum number of joules that you have to use. And of course, if you remember some fundamental theorems of physics, energy is never destroyed. It's only converted from one form into another. In the case of computation, it's mostly that energy is transformed from electricity, which is very high grade energy into heat, which is dissipated into the environment. Now, of course, SHA-256 being a hash function, which is the basis of Bitcoin, is not a reversible computation. And if you remember all the way back to lecture one, this was a basic requirement of hash functions that they're not reversible. So since I told you that any non-reversible computation has to use some energy and SHA-256 is not reversible, energy consumption is an inevitable fact of doing Bitcoin mining. And it is worth saying that the limits provided by Landauer's principle are far, far below the amount of electricity that's being used today, by uh, over a factor of 1,000. So we're nowhere close to the theoretical optimum efficiency of computing. Um, But even if we did get to the theoretical optimum, we would still be using some energy to perform Bitcoin mining. So why does Bitcoin mining require energy? there are three steps in the process that require energy. First, you have to manufacture your Bitcoin mining equipment. So that requires both physical mining, digging up uh, things out of the ground, especially rare earth metals and copper that go into integrated circuits. And then you have to manufacture it into a Bitcoin mining ASIC. So it takes a lot of energy to run fabs and to uh, tune out chips. So all of that energy is called the embodied energy, as soon as you receive a Bitcoin mining ASIC in the mail that you order, you've already consumed a lot of energy, including the shipping energy, of course, just to get that to you before you have even turned it on and tried to mine Bitcoins. Then you'll plug it into the wall and turn it on. And of course, it will be drawing electricity constantly while it's on, and that's the electrical energy consumed in mining. And that's a step that, no matter what happens, has to be consumed because of Landauer's principle. So hopefully, over time, the embodied energy will go down as less and less new capacity comes online. Fewer people are going out to buy new mining ASICs. They're being obsoleted less quickly. The existing fleet can last a long time. The embodied energy will be amortized over years and years of mining. But the electricity consumption, even though it will go down a little bit because rigs will get more efficient, that will be a fact of life forever. The other thing about both electricity and embodied energy is that both are probably less if you're operating at a large scale. If you're running a huge mining data center, you can do it more efficiently. It's cheaper to build chips that are designed to run in a large data center and you can deliver the power more efficiently because you don't need as many power supplies. You can deliver all of the electricity to one place and so on. But there's a third important component, which is cooling off your equipment to make sure that it doesn't malfunction. So if you're operating your equipment in Antarctica, maybe your cooling budget is very small, but almost anywhere else you're going to have to pay extra, usually electricity, to cool off your equipment from all the, the waste heat that it's generating. And the interesting aspect about cooling is that cooling actually costs more the bigger your scale is. So if you want to run a very large operation and have a lot of Bitcoin mining equipment all in one place, your cooling budget is going to increase because cooling that big mass is going to be much more difficult. There's less air for the heat to to dissipate into surrounding your equipment. So how much energy is the entire Bitcoin network using? There are two basic approaches to trying to estimate how much energy the Bitcoin network is using. Of course, we can't compute this precisely because it's a decentralized network with miners operating all over the place who haven't documented exactly what they're doing. But we'll start with a really simple approximation strategy, which is to take the fact that about $15,000, and again, that's 25 Bitcoin, of reward are created with every block which is found every 10 minutes. So if we convert that to revenue per second, we get about 25 US dollars per second that are being minted and given to the mining community. Now, if the miners are turning all of those $25 per second into electricity, how much can they get? Well, at US industrial electricity prices, and this will vary from state to state or certainly from country to country, but we'll go with about 10 cents US per kilowatt hour. And kilowatt-hour is kind of a funny marketing unit, so we'll go to the more standard scientific unit of the megajoule. So if the miners took those $25 that they earn every second and converted it purely into electricity, they would get about 900 megajoules every second. And, of course, joules per second are just watts, so those 900 megajoules per second are 900 megawatts or 900 million watts. A second way to estimate the same figure is to do a bottom-up approach and to say let's look at how many hashes the miners are actually computing, which we know by observing the difficulty of each block, and what is the best hardware that miners might be using. So if you look online at mining rigs that are being sold commercially today, one of the best performance figures that you'll see is rigs that are able to turn one watt of electricity into about one gigahertz of hashing. So they perform one billion hashes per second while consuming about one watt of power. And the total network hash rate is about 150 million gigahertz or 150 petahertz. Of course, that excludes all of the cooling energy and all of the embodied energy that's in those chips, but we're doing an optimal calculation here. So, if the entire network was running at about the efficiency of generally the better chips on the market, what would we get? If we just multiply these two together, we would get about 150 megawatts to produce that many hashes per second at that efficiency. So, again, last slide I said at a high end using the top-down approach, we estimated about 900 megawatt. And using the the bottom-up approach, this is a lower bound, about 150 megawatt. So maybe for the whole network today, somewhere between 100 megawatts and a gigawatt of electricity are being consumed. In reality, of course, it's probably somewhere in the middle and it's going to evolve over time, but that's a useful ballpark to think about right now. So sometimes people have a tendency to think that Bitcoin is wasting energy because the energy is being expended in this SHA-256 computation that doesn't serve any apparent purpose. But you could also look at all of the energy used in a traditional currency system and say that it's also wasted and that it doesn't serve any other purpose besides maintaining the currency system. So that's a really important disclaimer, I think, that just because Bitcoin uses electricity, it's not necessarily wasted. If Bitcoin is a useful currency system, then the electricity is essentially being used for that purpose. But we still might think is there something better that we could do with this electricity rather than just heating up air which is sent off into the atmosphere and one pretty interesting idea is what if we tried to capture the heat that we're turning that electricity used in bitcoin mining and use it uh, for practical purposes so this is called the data furnaces model and the basic idea is that you would go down to your local hardware store And instead of buying a traditional electric heater to heat your home or to heat water in your home, you would buy a Bitcoin mining rig that you would plug in both to the electricity outlet and also to your internet connection. And your heater would essentially be doing Bitcoin mining and using the heat produced as a byproduct of that computation to heat your water or to heat your home, which is hopefully useful. Now, if one of the main things that Bitcoin miners need to be successful is cheap energy and you can mine Bitcoins basically anywhere, it may not be stable to have countries subsidizing electricity heavily because all that will mean is that you're paying for a lot of Bitcoin miners to move into your country. There's also the interesting question of, will the fact that you can turn electricity into money easily with Bitcoin mean that people have to start guarding their power outlets, particularly around universities and corporations? Large buildings with a lot of power outlets, will they need security cameras to make sure that employees or students aren't trying to mine Bitcoins by plugging into unmonitored power outlets and just letting them run? And you might ask, would we be better off if we didn't have this electricity consumption? Could we make a currency that didn't have proof of work and didn't have to use so much electricity?
0: Yeah, and there, there are blockchains and there are um, you know proof of consensus and different types of proof of stake that people are trying to um, put together. So, I mean, that's something that's going to happen regardless. I think over time, people um, like Cardano's looking at every option available for not using proof of work. Um, you know, of course, EOS is another one. Um, so. I mean, it's one of those things that's just going to happen naturally over time. People are going to move away from proof of work. And you already have people right now trying to be ASIC resilient on their on their blockchain because, you know, like Monero, for example, you know, they're trying to break these ant miners um, that are trying to, you know, trying to mine with Monero with. And if they're building that in their in their blockchain and then if you have other other coins rolling out, like Ravencoin's a new one that's trying to be ASIC resilient as well. Um, that's not good for Bitmain, you know, because they make all of these ASIC Bitcoin mining hardware. So, yeah, I think over time, I feel like it's a, it's kind of too late for Bitcoin. I think the only thing that we can do at this point is try to harness that heat that's coming off of, you know, these different ASIC miners and try to move it somewhere else or try to use it in a different way or maybe even... Try to produce electricity from it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not a scientist. But I'm sure there has to be a way to, to harness that kind of heat. Um, right now, like we know, a lot of a lot of places are moving to like Iceland and moving to Canada, places where it's cold um, and where they have, you know, different types of thermal kind of electricity being used. So, hopefully, that's something that more people will will you know take an active approach of doing. But I think even then, you don't want to centralize a bunch of miners in one place because that's how you really cause, you know, bad um, electricity problems. That's where, you know, you could really take a hit on the surrounding public and their energy consumption as well. So I'm going to play one last video. This is from Andreas Antopoulos, and he explains why Bitcoin is not harmful to the environment, as everyone thinks. So check this out.
3: Well, um.
4: The energy consumption in mining, I think, is misrepresented um, very often in two ways. One is that mining itself is one of the few uh, industries that is completely geographically independent. Meaning that it doesn't matter where you are if you are mining, as long as you have inexpensive electricity. So What that allows you to do is choose the location of your mining system based entirely on the local cost of electricity, which means that mining is doing um, arbitrage, market arbitrage for the cheapest sources of electricity. Now, in many cases, the reason a source of electricity is cheap is because it does not match the demand at that location. In countries where there aren't um, broadly deployed, efficient distribution networks for electricity, one of the challenges with rapidly deploying and developing energy is that you build a power plant not for the demand that it has today, but you build it for the demand that you're going to have over the next fifteen years because you have to make that investment now and grow into it, because you can't simply move energy across a a massive country when you don't have a distribution network. I'm speaking of China, if you didn't figure it out, but that's one of the fundamental problems they have. This problem is replicated across not just China, but many developing nations, as well as many developed nations. The places where electricity is needed and the times when electricity is needed are almost always not the places and times where electricity is available. So what happens when you build a 50 megawatt plant in a place where they only have 15 megawatts of Demand well in some cases if it's alternative energy like wind solar or hydro You can't turn it off or turn it down So you've built it and it will produce and then and then what then you're basically wasting energy now what if in that environment, you could find a way to turn that energy into an alternative store of value. Um, Instead of paying off for the electricity plant in five years, you pay it off in one year... by using electricity that would be otherwise wasted. Now, Bitcoin is an environmental subsidy to alternative energy all around the world, because it is causing these projects to be amortized over a year instead of five oh you're telling me we were running a green coin all this time and I didn't even notice so one problem is that you 've got to understand it from the perspective of balancing supply and demand on a global scale without distribution networks and that's driving the decentralization of Bitcoin is driving the decentralization of energy production which is one of the most important uh, trends in, in human history now one of the other things you've got to keep in mind is that Bitcoin is easy to criticize for its energy consumption because it's obvious. There are a lot more um, much wasteful things that are far less obvious. You know for every time you pull out that little plastic card and you use it to do a transaction you're not aware of the hundred thousand square foot data center that is churning a hundred thousand servers to do fraud detection or clearing or whatever you're not aware of the tower offices that are lit 24 hours a day. Um, and the trading floors and the bank vaults and the armored cars and the diesel trucks and the blah 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 all of those costs are mostly hidden, and they're enormous. Are you telling me that perhaps Bitcoin ends up being the most efficient way to do transactions on a global scale? You've got to remember that the level of security we have for Bitcoin today is a level of security that can handle global attacks by colluding nation-states. That's the level of security that is needed for this system to remain censorship-resistant. But if the system was ten times bigger with ten times more users, it doesn't need ten times more mining. It already has globally secure mining. What we have is enough. There is a profit motive that drives it, but it's a mistake to think that simply if we go global, that cost will also multiply. Quite the opposite, in fact. Over time, the reward from mining decreases. And as a result, it is more likely we will see that gradually taper off and plateau. So This is a long game. The implications and complexity of how cost is allocated and how energy is consumed is huge. I don't think we can afford two proof-of-work systems on this planet, but I think we might only need one. Maybe everything else could be proof of stake and anchor into the only proof of work system we have. We need one planetary scale proof of work system to offer us true energy dependent immutability. But maybe we can only afford one. Turns out that might be Bitcoin's killer app.
0: You know, and what he says is is true in so many different ways. You know, he, he is right, you know. I don't like like he said, when there's there shouldn't be two proof of works on the planet. That's true. And I think that's why a lot of these blockchains are becoming aware of that. And they're trying to you know move to a different type of proof of consensus for their blockchain. So I think with time, this will kind of resolve itself out. It's not something that I would I think we should be worrying about right now at this point. Uh, I think I think more so getting people on board using Bitcoin. Um, and like he also says, the network can't get any more bigger. You can have more people trying to mine Bitcoin, but it's it's the network can't get any more bigger. There's still going to be the same amount of Bitcoins that are going to be you know released um, as a reward. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't think I don't think. But like I said, again, I, I am biased to this. I don't think it's going to be a big issue. In the coming years, maybe in the next 10, 15 years, maybe. But I, I think by then we'll have something in place. And uh, I think that could potentially, you know, save us from a lot of this energy consumption. And I think, like I said, from the get go, I think, you know, trying to grab some of this heat that are, are being produced off of these ASIC miners is probably the best approach, you know, turning that into electricity or some other type of, um, of, of uh, some way of using it you know, naturally or something else. So with that, let's go ahead and head on to the end of the show. For what the environment is a good thing overall for bitcoin and i do believe that if we if we can get bitcoin rolling and we can get it taking over for the whole financial fucking sector i feel like this will be way better for the environment long term that way we're getting rid of all the built-in interests the built-in pyramid schemes with the financial industry the way it is now that's why I always say buy bitcoin to save the world this is the end of the show
4: You have been listening to Thriller Podcast with Carr Gonzalez. Remember, Thriller Podcast is not financial advice. Everything Carr said likely won't come true. It
0: is up to you now. Go do your own research. Listen to other things that start their with crypto not Carl. and not car. And